Hello, and welcome to Adventurous Polyamory, the podcast where we rip the shrink wrap off of non-monogamy and get into the messy reality of our lifestyle. I'm Rachel Barth, your hostess with the mostest, and I'm here to open up a big old can of truth and honesty about the joys and pitfalls of polyamory. Let's talk about vacation. Vacation, all I ever wanted. Vacation, gotta get away. My God, is the dream to end all dreams. Going to the beach together, lying in the sun. Always someone there to put sunscreen on my back. A beach house, the windows open to let that ocean breeze blow through. Maybe we're cooking a meal in the kitchen there, eating it on that little deck while the sun goes down. Maybe a cabin way out in the mountains. I know the Amazon loves hiking. I love this idea so much, especially as we're all getting a bit older in my polycule and we have more leisure. To be on vacation with the people I love so much. Still, there are a lot of challenges. And this is pretty much the mother of all multi-partner socializing, isn't it? The potential for discomfort is vast. I think if you're in a well-functioning triad or quad, it might be a bit easier. I don't really know this for sure, though. I'm a hinge, but it's not a triad situation. We function best as a set of dyads joined at the hinge. My husband, I suppose he is only a husband now, always wanted to try a vacation with me and his other partners. But I couldn't figure out how that would really work. Like, where would I sleep? If we went for a week, would I basically be sleeping alone for half the time, maybe more? Would I have to share a suite with everyone and listen to them making love while I laid there by myself? And then, of course, they'd have to listen to me? I mean, assuming he even decided to pay me any attention in that manner at all, which was not a given by that time by any means. Was I going to just lie in bed with him and his unyielding lack of desire for me? I found the whole thought really demoralizing. I couldn't figure out how to set it up so that we could all have a good experience. It's possible that I'd have been more enthusiastic about it if I'd felt more secure with him. But even if I had felt better about it, there was no guarantee that Evelyn would have felt good. Being so introverted, she seemed to find it difficult to socialize for extended periods, and she was prone to headaches and a variety of other aches and pains. There was no way on earth she'd want to share a suite with me, or, indeed, with anyone else. And the three of us were deeply involved in the disastrous triangular communication that I described for you all the way back in episode two. So Evelyn and I we're both kind of scared to spend time together. That is, I was scared to spend time with Evelyn, and I'm assuming she was scared to spend time with me because, of course, in those days, we didn't really talk much. I suppose some of this awkwardness could have been alleviated if I had brought one of my other partners with me. But both of them and Norman cordially disliked each other and were certainly not about to spend a big chunk of cash to hang out together. And even if we somehow got past this issue, 
then I would still face the weirdness of date night. Like, would I have date night with Norm on this vacation? If so, what was my other partner supposed to do during that time? And if I didn't spend any time with Norm, then why exactly would I be going on that vacation with him? I could just go on vacation with my partner. Actually, that problem was multiplied for me. If both my other partners somehow decided to attend, then each of them would be sleeping alone at least part of the time. Kathy, in particular, really hates feeling like a third wheel, and that would have pissed her off deeply. And I'm pretty sure John would hate it, too. We didn't resolve any of those questions, and we never had a group vacation. As near as I can make out, a group vacation would work pretty well for a healthy triad or quad, one of those setups where everyone is more or less partners with everyone. No one would have to feel left out or excluded. Or, alternatively, I think it would work pretty well as a vacation that featured two or more dyads, but no other date nights. So, for instance, I can imagine going on vacation with Kathy and her romantic partner, Madison, and me and my partner, John, or maybe Isaiah. I think this idea would work all right. But John, veteran of many stressful family vacations, asked me, have Kathy and Madison ever gone on vacation together? I said, no, not yet. He said, well, then I wouldn't want to go on their first vacation with them because we don't know how they'll behave. And he's not wrong. Vacation is awesome, but you also can't get away from it. So all kinds of turmoil can surface sometimes. And Kathy is extremely protective of her time with Madison and of their needs and feelings. So it's definitely a risk. This is in no way unique to polyamory. Monogamous vacation is just as notoriously stressful. People have kids, they're really, really busy, they barely have a moment to even talk to each other. So after they've been on vacation for a couple of days, boom, they remember all the things they wanted to say, and they start to say them. And then there's yelling and tears. Or maybe someone really needs a bit more alone time and they can't get that because of the kids and whatnot, and so by day three, they start to lash out. My mom has to get a bit of activity every day, or she starts getting really cranky. The process of writing these episodes really brings things up for me sometimes. One year, maybe 2016, my dad took the family to Bethany in Delaware. He got us a beach house, and overall, it was lovely. However, the moment we arrived, Norm and I had a lengthy fight. I can't even remember how it started, although it's likely that the culprit was me, picking a fight because I finally had him alone for a minute. This fight left me literally lying on the carpet weeping. Like crying to the point of dehydration while reclining upon the floor. Well, I pulled myself together and the rest of the vacation was pretty great, actually. I adore Bethany to this day. Yet, it's also true that some part of my happiness during that vacation was just a lie. I wouldn't let myself be honest then. I couldn't face it yet. I can remember one other time where I was reduced to that level of weeping. 
That would have been in 2018, I think. Same thing. Big fight with Norman. Same fight, really. But looking back, here's the thought that arises for me. How on earth did I not see those fights more clearly? Especially that one in 2018. I was actually physically on the floor, groveling for forgiveness, pleading with Norm to tell me if there was anything I could do to improve things, begging him to love me again. (sighs) He told me that he loved me and that there was nothing else to do or change. And, in fact, there was no change whatsoever. All my sadness, weeping, and outright pleading and begging led to nothing at all. And that's what I'm seeing now. What a massive red flag! How did I not understand what I was seeing? Let me spell it out now. If you are reduced to groveling in your relationship, worse yet, more than once, that's not good! If your partner is completely unmoved by your distress and easily shrugs off the sight of your utter misery, that's really not good. Basically, your partner is showing you that they don't care about your pain, nor about any part they might have played in the situation which is hurting you so badly, nor do they plan to do anything to alleviate the painful situation as if you had a rusty nail stuck in your foot. A rusty nail they threw on the floor, and you stepped on it. And then they say, Oh, baby, you know I love you. I promise I'll get that nail soon. Very soon. And then, they just never do. They never even look at your foot, or ask you if tetanus setting in, or if it hurts you, or anything like that. They never do anything about the nail. That's what he was telling me through his silence and his inaction. He knew it was hurting me, and he chose to do nothing about it. He knew, and he chose to do nothing. How did I not see it? I guess I just couldn't bear to look directly at it. Because really, I mean, looking at it now, it's so incredibly obvious that things were ruined between us. I wasn't ready to throw in the towel, so I ignored the signs. I kept on struggling for several years more. But maybe these words will do someone else some good. Look, if your partner simply does not do anything to fix a bad situation, repeatedly choosing to just let it go on burning, then it's likely that they will never do their part to fix things. The thing is on fire. The smoke is billowing. And they will not call the fire department. Nope. Squint through the smoke and what do you see? They are getting out a box of graham crackers. They are making s'mores over the bonfire of your life together. Geez, I can't imagine why I didn't want to go on any group vacations with that guy. Well, what if it was John and the Amazon and me and Isaiah? Okay, probably much less stressful. But since John and I love each other very much, 
It might be painful for him, or even for me, to be in Puerto Rico or wherever and yet not spend time together romantically. Taking a vacation that's together and yet not together seems weird and uncomfortable. I can't figure out how to get past this issue in my mind. Like, what could ease that discomfort? If everybody, absolutely everybody there, is completely stable, completely at peace, no little issues whatsoever, then maybe it could be good. But you know darn well that ain't reality. For it to be a good idea, it's got to be good even if someone gets off balance. Because someone is always getting off balance. There's something about vacation that can really bring out some nutty behavior. And I'm definitely including myself in that category, because I know I picked those fights with Norm. All right, let's think. We need a concept where each person or dyad has sufficient space to decompress. We need an organizing structure that gives people the chance to do stuff together without it being exclusionary in some way. Maybe even an activity that essentially separates everyone into singles for some period of time. So, for instance, not the dyad activity of canoeing, but the singleton activity of kayaking. Not ballroom dancing, instead, yoga. Horseback riding, uh, art of some kind, like painting or pottery, Music classes, John and the Amazon, me and Isaiah. I suppose it could be John and me and the Amazon and her future imaginary partner, Esteban. I'm telling you, if I ever meet an actual man named Esteban, I don't really have any idea what the hell's going to happen in my life. We need something where people can enjoy sexy time fun in dyads at night and individual or maybe swapped out fun by day. So, for instance, maybe John and the Amazon are doing hiking while Esteban and I try out new recipes. Maybe the Amazon finally gets to teach me how to do some proper jujitsu chokes while the fellows go and buy cigars and attend a rock concert. I don't know. I'm just spitballing here. The thing I'm looking at and trying to avert is basically what I would call monogamous honeymoon behavior. Sometimes the members of a dyad can be so intimate and cuddly that they make everyone else feel as if they're intruding. Usually this is due to NRE, but sometimes it's just someone's regular personality to be ultra-cuddly. So, for instance, if we were all on vacation together, but John is just glued to my side continually, it'll make everyone else feel weird. This is why I'm putting this emphasis on activities which break up the dyads a bit. But this is a tough issue because I've noticed that the men in my life do not show any desire to bond with each other. The Amazon and I do hang out. I was waiting impatiently for months until I could finally meet her and get to know her. John and Isaiah are both such chill, fun, nice people. I don't know why they don't, like, text each other and make jokes about me behind my back. I'm ridiculous. I'm sure they felt the urge. But the issue is deep-rooted and maybe even systemic. Like, I don't think it's unique to my boyfriends. I think it's a man thing in general. Men don't want to hang out unless there's women involved. So breaking up the dyads 
it's going to be difficult. I don't want to feel like a wishbone torn between two men. Being on vacation with both boyfriends would then be less fun and way more stressful. Again, it's a much different picture if more people are sexually and romantically intimate with each other. But in my personal setup, it's all connected dyads. I don't ever want to be sexual with the Amazon. John does not want to be sexual with Isaiah or with Kathy. And Kathy definitely doesn't want to sex it up with any of them. And Madison, Kathy's sweetie, is still not even convinced that polyamory is a thing and seems to regard me more as Kathy's submissive or possibly an eccentric sort of pet animal. They crack me up. Anyway, my point is, I have a little basis on which to plan an imaginary polycule vacation where triads or quads are involved. I hope you all get in touch with me about that, because I would like to hear what you have to say. So we're still looking at a deeper issue, which is how to accommodate a variety of personality types. John is very extroverted. The Amazon and I are both ambivert types. Kathy, Madison, and Isaiah are fairly to heavily introverted. Kathy and the Amazon both deal with some anxiety on a daily basis. Kathy is a severe night owl. She does not want any planned activities or human interaction before noon, generally. So it's a challenge to find activities that really appeal to all of us. So far, the beach is the only thing I can think of. But then... How to break up the dyads a bit so that everyone can get attention from everybody and nobody feels excluded. Madison, in particular, really loves attention and interaction, but is too shy to reach for it themselves. And then there's the issue of personal fitness. John and I are in okay shape. Isaiah is in very good shape. The Amazon hikes, bikes, and does jujitsu so no one can keep up with her. Kathy and Madison are on the couch potato end of the spectrum, so there's a lot of variety there. Well, again, I think the beach is the way to go. But not just any beach. Remember, we still have to provide activities that are fulfilling for the people and also break up the dyads a bit. I'm thinking about one of those fancy joints in Costa Rica where you can attend a yoga retreat or go snorkeling at the beach or horseback riding in the rainforest or just lie around in the sun. Maybe something like Deep Creek Lake here in western Maryland, where there's hiking, all manner of water sports, fishing, and whatnot. I think it depends on who's going, you know? If it was just Isaiah and me and Kathy and Madison, the beach would be perfect. Cooking some meals, lying around in the sun, maybe go kayaking. Isaiah is super chill. Really, the fussy one in that group would actually be me. I would have to go do sunrise yoga or something to get my yayas out and get a little downtime. I do think downtime is an important consideration here. I personally need time to decompress by myself. Practice the ukulele, get some writing done. Y'all know this podcast is a demanding mistress. And I need time to read in peace. Kathy needs her chill time too. And I bet Isaiah does as well. We would all need time to just rest. Kathy would want to be watching TV. John might want that too. So it can't be too much activity or too much togetherness. Las Vegas would work pretty well too, I think. 
although it's awfully noisy for my taste. Still, there's lots to do there. How about a salsa dance convention in Las Vegas? I would attend that for sure, and the others could go hiking, drive race cars, gamble, swim and sunbathe, shop, get a new tattoo. You know what? Vegas is sounding pretty good to me, actually. Let's see. A brief glance at the Google machine tells me that in 2022, we could attend a ukulele festival, a bluegrass festival, a salsa and bachata congress, a variety of yoga conferences and festivals, a jiu-jitsu conference, or a national-level jiu-jitsu championship meet, as well as any of the continual flow of concerts, comedians, and Cirque du Soleil performances there year-round, to say nothing of the holographic Whitney Houston Act. All the attendees could try to have one meal together each day, probably dinner. We could rent a joint with a pool and a bunch of bedrooms a little further from the strip, I bet. Airbnb says that I could get something like that for around $500 per night, which is less than $85 per person per night. That's a really good deal right there. My God, Airbnb is so seductive. I just keep diving into it. This does bring up another issue. It's not unusual to have differing levels of income in a polycule. In my own polycule, we have some who have very good jobs. One is retired, and a couple of us are doing only okay in the money department. It's a challenge to plan trips or outings that will be appropriate for all our levels of prosperity. It's very important to be proactively thoughtful about it, because it's quite painful for someone to have to speak up and say something like, I just can't afford to go on this trip with you this year, and frankly, next year's looking pretty tight too. Depending on the person's background and history, this admission might be very difficult and hurtful, uh, or even heavily laden with shame. You never want to hurt your partner like that, especially not over a trip that's supposed to be for fun. I can't go too deeply into this because it's so subjective and so individual. But it is a clear problem that must be examined in your particular circumstances, and so I am just throwing it out on the table for you to look at. And then there's the elephant in the room. What if there's someone you just don't want to invite? That was definitely a huge snag way back when, when Norm wanted us to do a polycule vacation. Everyone had someone, or maybe multiple someones, that they didn't really want to be on vacation with. For instance, he had a girlfriend for several years who was a heavy, heavy drinker. Nobody wanted to be stuck with her for a week at a time other than Norm himself. Norm didn't want to be stuck on vacation with Kathy, that's for sure. And Kathy would have probably murdered Norm if she was stuck in a house with him for a week at a time. So, even discussing a potential vacation was a real minefield because nobody wanted to come right out and admit these things. Nobody wanted to say, well, I'm happy to go on vacation with you, but your, your, your girlfriend's not welcome and I don't like them and there you go. Right? That, there's, there's just no way to have that conversation. That's not going to suck completely. So, you see what I mean about this thing? It's such a beautiful dream, and yet 
it's just incredibly difficult. I really don't have any answers here. Just a lot of questions. Thank you for listening. If you have issues you want to hear about on this podcast, or you need advice, or you have a story to tell, and you think you might like to appear as a guest here, I want to hear from you. Please get in touch with me at unlimitedheartcoaching at gmail.com. You can also find me on Instagram at unlimitedheartfreedom. As always, I am available for coaching sessions. And if you feel you could use some help, get in touch with me for a free exploratory session. It occurred to me that you might not be thinking about coaching for yourself. If you're just getting into non-monogamy and you want to avoid some of the common pitfalls, you could use some coaching. Or if you're facing relationship issues and you can't figure out how to proceed, maybe you've got some decisions to make and you need someone to work through the issues together. Coaching is perfect for any kind of problem solving in your life. And as we know, polyamory is full of interesting problems that need solving. So, as I say, please get in touch for a free exploratory session. I appreciate you all so very much, and I'll see you back here in a couple of weeks.